brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss. So become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Here we go, Higher Side Chatters. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood. And as often as we focus on the scams and schemes of the capstone cabal and the multitude of ways the system makes us sicker, dumber, and drowning in debt, we sometimes forget that as bad as it is for us, it is just that much worse for the animal kingdom. Not only have our ever-expanding ways and forever-growing corporations destroyed their natural habitats and resources... But in our everything-is-money world, we put a price on these creatures and consider them commodities not much different from a couch or a toaster. It's this mental trick that makes things like factory farming, cement zoo prisons, and the sad things that go on behind the curtain of circuses and amusement parks seem more acceptable than they really are. As Howard Beale would say, first, I need you to get mad. And here to piss us off and take such an uncomfortable journey is Phil Demers, a ex-Marineland animal trainer turned whistleblower from Canada who could no longer take what he was seeing at the old 9 to 5 and started speaking out against the sad state of their animal care. His highest priority being a particular walrus that he imprinted on named Smooshy that he has been trying to rescue from Marineland's custody for over six years. You can donate to his cause and help him fight the ongoing legal battle that Marine Land has waged to silence him by going to SaveSmooshy.com. So let's do the damn thing. The animal welfare whistleblower, the Kanye West of animal trainers, and the walrus whisperer himself. Phil, welcome to the higher side. Thanks for having me, Greg, and I'm impressed you pronounced my name perfectly. Smooshies as well. Ah, I try, I try. I look into these things. You gotta get it right. There's very few things a host must do. That seems like near the top of the list. Oh, you nailed it, man. I appreciate your professionalism. Yes, I try. I mean, it's tough for a stoner, but we get it done. And this is really cool. I think you're a great example of a guy with principles who's doing the whole David versus corporate Goliath thing. And I know it can consume your life. It's not an easy thing to do. But if we were to start at the beginning of the story, for people who are unfamiliar, you were a punk kid with no direction, much like me. But instead of working at some shitty mall store, you saw an ad for an animal trainer's assistant applied, and that's how it all got started, right? I couldn't even believe it myself that I got the job. I, I literally, I was spinning in a circle like, what am I going to do? I couldn't keep my attention on uh, things. You know, I worked in the forging industry. It was where I, was, uh, I was on a production line making automotive parts, like 2,000 a day. That countdown drove me crazy. I was 18 years old, and I was ready to jump off a bridge. Like, it, it was too much, so I thought... I got to get out of here. I got to do something else. It took a little bit of schooling to learn some audio post-production with regards to music and whatnot. And I thought, okay, well, that's cool. Maybe I could follow some bands around. I had a lot of interest in music, play, play some instruments, whatnot. But then, yeah, the ad came up. Applied for the job. Marine Mammal Trainer's Assistant. I thought, okay, feed like thaw fish for the people that swim with the whales. I was wrong. I got the job. And within a month, you know, I was on the front lines feeding, swimming, and training whales. It was crazy. Yeah, it's almost like the lack of training and expertise itself needed for the job is kind of telling. I was exactly what they were looking for, like a, a dummy who will operate as a parrot and uh, tow the company line and doesn't look too bad in a wetsuit. Mm. <laughs> and 
how long were you working there before the things you saw started making you uncomfortable? What were some of the things you were actually seeing behind the curtain? Okay, well, day one was very uncomfortable. So it should be noted when you're going in there, sort of green, when you're introduced to the whole of it, it's, you know, it's pretty appalling. It's something you turn off fairly quickly because, you know, look, you're new in an environment. You're not the professional. You're here to learn. The people that know what they're doing seem to be fine with what's going on here or how this is done. So it's time for you to learn. So I would say I was uncomfortable with things from day one. I became eventually numb to things. And then eventually down the road, I would find myself in the, I guess, I guess what you would call a desperate position where, you know, everything changes. It's sometimes very difficult when you're stuck in your ways to stop everything and try to change your perspective, kind of look from the outside in. I was in a pretty tight and nasty bubble, but when I managed to even only briefly disconnect myself and look at what the whole of what things were, you know, I just started to change. And then once you start seeing things for what they truly are, you can't, you kind of can't unsee them. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you fall right into that classic, just following orders mind game, as you're kind of saying. And I was a company guy. I'm a hard worker. I'm dependable. I mean, look, I'm patting myself on the back here, but yeah, hire me. <laughs> I'm a good employee. You know, they had me. I was a company guy. I'd do anything for the park. And, and all I wanted to do was just try to get ahead. Yes, yes. He's on the market, people. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so in terms of some of the things you were seeing, I've heard you talk about the training of animals. Of course, when you put it in the terms that these animals have to do tricks to live or have to do tricks to eat, those terms sound quite harsh, but it is true. I mean, you can't get animals to do things without some motivation. Usually it's food. And animals that are full don't necessarily want to jump through hoops, right? Nor do animals that are free. So you also have to take them from their, from their natural environment, separate them from their families, traumatize them, depress them, drug them, and then isolate them in concrete pools. You know, these are auditory sensitive animals. I mean, they, they rely on their hearing in ways that we can't even understand. They have, a, they have a very complex system where they use echolocation and a radar system. You know, this stuff becomes quite useless in a concrete tank. And also the sounds, the filtration system, the loud music, the people clapping, all of this is, it just depresses their system. It's a, it's a form of torture. The, the animals that you see performing are not only starved for food, they're also depressed as hell. And they're stuck there. Basically, if they're jumping, it's because they still want to live. Hmm. Man, yes. I get sad just when I go to Petco for pet food and I see like chameleons in a small 10-gallon tank because it's so unnatural. And dogs and cats, I mean, they like humans' company and they know what's going on. There are little companions, but some of the things you'll see in a pet store, it's like, this is just different. And you can immediately tell. And when it comes to giant whales and orcas, it's just amplified that much. There was a little factoid I pulled off of the IMDB for Blackfish, where it just says that in the case of that whale, during his time at SeaWorld, he was housed in a tank containing one one millionth of the quantity of water he would traverse in a single day in the ocean. I mean, that's pretty insane. And he, you know, the sad thing is he's not the only whale that's found themselves in incredibly, and, I, and, and I'm talking lowest standard of the worst of the worst of pools. I know one orca that Marineland had named Junior that lived backstage and he never saw the light of day and he quite literally rotted. And I, and if anybody, you know, has the stomach for it, look up on YouTube, of course, look up Junior the Orca at Marineland. I don't know exactly what the search is, but you'll find it. The story of Junior the Orca. And, uh, you know, he rotted away in a warehouse never to see the light of day because he was deemed a surplus whale. There was no market for him because at the time... There weren't a lot of aquariums. I mean, they're popping up like crazy now in China, especially. But at the time, there were uh, very few Sea Worlds and Marineland, say, and then maybe a couple places in in Europe. So there was a legit surplus of whales. So there were times when whales were quite literally warehoused, out of sight, out of mind, and rotted away. It's tragic. God, it really is. And that's another thing is when it comes to the lineage of these animals, separation from family. I mean, we don't really know the dynamics, or I'm sure there's experts out there who do, but there are family dynamics to animals and the things they do in these parks or the capture of these animals. It violates a lot of that stuff that we just kind of gloss over because, oh, these are just meat robots. They don't have consciousness. And that's just so untrue. But what can you say about things like separation from family or even 
as nasty as it is, incest. That has to be an element of this kind of thing, right? All of which I can tell you examples of which that I personally have experience with. It should be noted that male orcas in the wild will spend 90% of their life within a body length of their mothers. I mean, to separate animals, we can't even begin to understand the magnitude of torture that that causes for both a mother and especially the babies. And I've seen it, you know, I was there when we received wild caught animals and many of them don't make it beyond a, a very few weeks into months even. And then when you get into years, you've got more dying. And then, you know, th there's a reason why, why the environment that these animals live in aren't so great. It's because there was a time where rather than taking proper care of the animal or the whales in this case, because it would be very costly to make very large elaborate pools that would, that would accommodate them, it was just cheaper to replace them. So let them die. These facilities are still sort of stuck in that archaic mindset. I mean, look, these are infrastructures that were expensive to build then, expensive to build today, even by the crappy standards that they are. But Marinelands pools have existed now for nearly 50 years, you know, SeaWorlds as well. So these are really, really, really not just archaic ideas, but the way that we're doing it is even so archaic. And I, and I would never... I mean, look, there's not going to be a perfect form of captivity. It's virtually impossible. And I'm not going to make any excuse for it because the second that money's to be made for it, the second that the animals' lives are compromised, it's just in the capacity that I've seen it, it's just not worth it. I'll never be sort of sympathetic to captivity. But they do got to catch up in some capacity. They need to address some of the living conditions that these animals are in. The only resolve that SeaWorlds and, and Marinelands have, have adopted is to say, oh, you know, we don't do the performances as, as much or whatsoever. Now we just do natural demonstrations. There's still performances. They've changed nothing. You'd never see a commitment to improve the actual environment these animals live in. You just don't see it. That's not where the industry's minds ever go. It's always profits first. When it comes on the backs of these incredibly intelligent animals, the toll is too much. Mm. Well, you make some good points. And that's always a frustration for me in the wide range of subjects we cover is people will write me and say, well, how do we do this better? And I'm like, some things you just can't do, some things you shouldn't do. And maybe keeping whales and marine mammals in captivity is just something we can't do. The infrastructure will never allow for the quality of life that these animals need. You just nailed it. It will never. It's just as simple as that. So the future is a buffer. And so what's actually being adopted now and what's being discussed and, and being slowly implemented, but it is the future, is a seaside sanctuary. So what's going to happen is you're going to have a fjord or a coastline. It sounds like it's going to be in the east or west coast of North America. So let's call it Canada and shared perhaps with the, with the U.S. You could take these animals out of their captive environments, put them in a massive fenced-in environment. So they're still captive. They're still under human care, but they're in the sea. And they're feeling the rhythm, the natural rhythms of the sea. And they're interacting with fish, be it hunting them if they can. They're interacting with wildlife. The water is constantly changing. They are under the sun and the stars. Bear in mind, a lot of these animals in captivity, once they're in these pools, they're under actual artificial lighting 24-7 for the remainder of their lives. Can you imagine an animal that would otherwise be sleeping under the dead of midnight in the sea, the dead quiet of midnight something you and i don't even know we can't even understand what that's like and these animals will never experience that again i think it's just an absolute tragedy we don't think about these little things but imagine being under lights 24 7 it's a problem with the mindset that we are separate from our environment none of us are everything's interconnected people in asia are having success with forest bathing when they're sick just going out into the woods because we are kind of captive through the debt slavery system. I mean, a lot of people don't see sunlight during the nine to five, as sad as it is. And on the weekends, they're too tired to even deal with it. But the sunlight, the air we breathe, the whole environment, it's a holistic system. And when you shelter someone, when you quarantine them away from that animal or human, there's problems. Yeah, man, you nailed it. And then you start introducing drugs and then you start introducing the starvation methods. The language that trainers use now is called positive reinforcement. And the way that they will rationalize their training system is we ignore the things we don't want the animals to do. We don't punish. We merely ignore. Okay. The term is ignore. And then when the animal is doing something that we deem positive, then we reinforce it, which means food, which means you feed them. 
So when they say something to the effect of, well, we don't punish, we just ignore bad behavior. Well, by virtue of ignoring it, it means you are not giving them food until they give you something positive. Well, you know what's positive when an animal is swimming away from you and, and you're not giving it food, you're just ignoring it coming back when it's hungry. And then you feed it again. You say, you see how this works? And then you go from there. But trainers today will try to tell you, oh, we just condition the animals to positive reinforcement. No, 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 no. They introduce the animal to the flip side of that, which is starvation. It's simple. The animals are there surviving. Tricks and language we see in so many different areas. And we can't go much farther without talking about Smooshy. Tell us about this walrus and how you formed the bond with it. I'd just like to note that it's an anomalous relationship. This is not something you, A, can create, can make happen, can manufacture artificially. It's a scientific anomaly. What happened was, at a young age, Smushi was captured in Russia. She was brought to Marineland. During a procedure where we were trying to draw blood from another animal, another walrus, it was, you know, it was a frantic scene. She got very nervous. She is especially a protective animal, but walruses in general are protective. So she tried to protect the animal that we were we were trying to, to hold down while we were sticking a needle in her to try to pull blood out to be able to you know analyze their health. Well, during this sort of chaos, I'd broken away from trying to subdue the, the other walrus, and I tried to sort of distract Smooshy from the scene to keep her from climbing us. You know, she's still like almost 300 pounds. So I put my hands in front of her face, and, you know, there was just this moment where she took this deep breath. And I saw her eyes just, I mean, it's as if they'd opened right up and something happened. And scientists that I had spoken, that we have since spoken to, long before any of our controversy between Marilyn and I, explained to, to us that what happened was her brain circuitry must have reopened amidst the chaos. And in that very brief instant, my putting my hands in front of her face, her seeing me, hearing me and smelling me, what happened was her, I tattooed, all of my senses tattooed on her brain. I imprinted on her in the exact way that a newborn calf will imprint on a mother so that they're able to identify these, uh, these babies amidst herds of thousands. So I, in essence, in that moment, became Smooshy's mom. And so when you try to consider what the relationship is between animal and calf, let's say mother and calf, or even just daughter and mother, I have to stress that it's a, it's a maternal-like relationship. That's what I share with her. That's the relationship I share with her. When I talk about stealing a walrus, life is short, steal a walrus, what I'm really saying is life is short, I'm going to go steal my daughter. It's a really odd and strange thing to say, but that's the level of resolve I have. That's the power of this relationship is that she is family to me. Like that is not just, that's not like you say, a, a robot piece of meat. That's not just a meat suit clad person. That's, that's my family. They're holding my family against her will now and they're doing worse. Anyways, I don't want to get going too much. Now I'm getting fired up. Next thing you know, the phone in the river. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It happens. And we definitely like odd and strange around here. So, Dude, I'm, I'm seven years into this. If you think even for a moment that I've lost an iota of resolve since day one that I was going to fight like hell for that animal, you're dead ass wrong. And just as Marineland would be, I have not changed. My resolve has not changed one bit. They have not in any way, shape, or form diluted my, my will to fight whatsoever. They've not compromised it. In fact, they've only made it stronger. They continue to. That's good to hear. So you get this job at Marineland. You form this bond with this walrus. You worked there for 12 years. Talk to us about quitting. I mean, I guess, were you pretty outspoken up to that point? Was there a last straw kind of moment? What happened? There was, there was definitely all of that. I was certainly outspoken. And at this point, I'd been deemed a problem employee. I've been sort of pulled aside. Look, Marineland is a mom and pop joint. There's not no hundreds of employees. I mean, we're talking about dozens at best. So everyone gets to know each other pretty well. And there really is a divide between management and staff. Anyway, so I got to sort of the heads up from a HR that, you know, listen, Phil, you've been asking the, the wrong questions. You've been barking up the wrong trees. And you've been ruffling feathers. Yeah. Uh, she said, uh, you know, John, the owner. So John, uh, he thinks you're a problem employee. 
so what had happened is I started to lose some of my, you know, I was unable to, to hire people. Suddenly I was no longer a dive supervisor. Like things were changing for me. They were making it a little bit uncomfortable. So I got sort of the heads up of what was happening. As for last straws, one morning I walked in and we were two weeks to the opening of the park because Marineland closes in the winter. Over the course of that, my last winter, there was a break in a disinfection, a water disinfection unit, which caused the water to go really, 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 I'll use the term toxic. And it was really damaging the animals for the duration of the winter. And much of my complaining and arguing was that not enough was being done because the animals were suffering incredibly. And on account of the fact that the park was closed, there was no urgency in fixing the problem. The owner was more inclined to to eat soup at Tim Hortons and take baths three times a day than to actually address the problems. So it actually took my quitting to fix the water, albeit they were obviously having to do something because the park was going to open. But anyways, I come strolling into the office and I could smell that the evening prior, they must have dosed the water with a, a huge concentrated amount of chlorine because it hit me like a right hook to the face. And I knew what the effects would be on the animals. This wasn't the first time this happened, but this was Marine Land's resolve. Rather than actually try to fix the machines that were broken, they thought they would fix the water by dumping barrels of I mean, I don't want to say it because, you know, it's always a legal, legally sensitive matter with me every time I open my mouth of what was actually happening there. But nonetheless, assume, assume really horrible amounts of, of chlorine were going into the water. I couldn't do it no more. Just the thought of going back to the warehouse, it's called, where the animals were and seeing what condition they were going to be in was just turning my stomach. And so I, in that moment right there and then, I typed up a very brief two-week sort of I quit. I sent it to the uh, now former CFO. I CC'd my supervisor and I said, I'm not fucking doing this no more. And then just shy of two weeks later, I had an exit interview that I insisted on with the owner and CFO. And I told them things they didn't like to hear. And they reminded me that I signed a non-disclosure agreement. I said to them, did I? Go get me a copy then. Because unbeknownst to them, I in fact didn't sign it. I don't know how I got away with it, but I was the one and only employee that didn't sign a non-disclosure. So that's how I ended. And then basically I walked out. I'm like, okay, that's that. You know, but the thing is, I should mention that I'd left Marineland on a fairly positive note because despite my having to give up and leave and leave Smooshy and all these crazy things, it wasn't without the agreement that I was still able to still be part of her life. And I wouldn't have been able to quit otherwise. So, I, you know, I got to stress that. And so I thought that we were going to move forward in such a way that I can move forward in life without the daily whatever it is that's depressing my life that's going on at Marineland. But I'm still able to help in the same capacity that I have because, you know, I, listen, with my experience and knowing the animals as much as I did, and I was good at what I did, you know, there were times that I just was needed. And I was. In fact, after I was quit, Marineland called me back in. They needed me to feed a dolphin that wasn't eating, and I did. We had this relationship moving forward, but there was, you know, there was an incident that happened. Largely, it's what inspired me to speak out. Where that relationship, it became evident that that relationship was in bad faith, and or Marineland negotiated with me in bad faith. Ultimately, that's what led to to me agreeing to speak out publicly. You know, a newspaper had been calling, and they wanted to do an expose on Marineland, and I was I was having none of it. But I saw Smooshy one day in just the absolute worst condition. It became evident that they not only were they not going to keep me in the loop in helping her, they were willing to let the very worst happen. I saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I took pictures of it. I have them. You'll see them one day. And that's when I decided to speak out. I said, if I don't speak out, Smooshy's going to die, and I'll be damned if she dies without a fight. And uh, that was seven years ago. Man, I just, I'm always fascinated by synchronicity or these instances where the universe tends to provide. And when you factor in how rare this is to have the imprinting happen, the journey that you've been on, I mean, Jimmy Kimmel's talked about you. You've been on Rogan a couple times. You've been on Mike Tyson's podcast. All along this way, how funny it is that you didn't sign that NDA and what you've done with that, because a lot of other people would just be like, oh, that's the end of the story. I signed the NDA. And so I just think that's really fascinating. <laughs> Dude, I will tell you this. Amidst all of this, I have not made a single solitary decision. All I've had, all I've done is watch every alternative get taken away from me. And I've been taken and led down an impossible path. All I keep saying is that I've got the best seat in the house because all I'm doing is being a witness. Call me crazy and I'm comfortable with that, but I've not made a decision whatsoever. In terms of the universe providing, there was a moment when I was sitting in my bedroom. I was curled up in a fetal position, rocking back and forth with my head, with my eyes clutched shut, which means I was deep inside. I had to make a decision. 
and I said, I'm going to jump off the edge and I'm going to let the universe do what it is clearly not allowing me not to. And I, and the second that I let that go, I let that resistance go and I just allowed everything to flow. Everything lined up in the most impossible way that here we are seven years later and I'm negotiating over fucking walrus. Yes, man. It's a beautiful thing. And in terms of the legal battle, we're very understanding of slap suits, these strategic lawsuits against public participation. It's a major corporate tactic to keep people like yourself quiet and to keep situations like this from becoming bigger movements. When did this start? And has it been a burden for you these whole six to seven years, the legal lawsuit aspect? I imagine when I'm able to breathe easy and look back at everything in retrospect, my jaw will probably break off on its way to the floor. It's difficult to explain how I've gotten through it. I don't know myself because I've just allowed myself to embrace everything, including the sleepless nights The I mean, I've had, I don't have to tell you, but there's something about my resolve. And again, it can only come from something that I, I can't explain that makes it such that I have teetered on the edge of disaster. Now I've gone broke three times. I've gone dead ass broke where this is the end. I have one last breath if I, and somehow in the 11th hour, and if I told you all these 11th hour nail biters that have just man, I'm just, I've got the best seat in the house. So as tough and as crazy as it's been, it's something I'll have to explain in retrospect because in it, it's just too damn heavy. I, I, every time I even try to take a look at it and I, I consider myself free from it all, I almost well up with this hyper emotion because I think the prospect of being free of all of this is so powerful that I won't even allow myself to consider it because it's still, I mean, look, we're seven years into it. This could last a lot more years. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's a slap suit. You know how this ends. Or, you know, no, I mean, we don't know how this ends exactly. Not in this case, but you know the game. And Marineland, in fact, is playing it as we speak. They've, they've just threatened another motion. It looks like we've, we're going to court um, in uh, April because, uh, you know, they're filing the motion. In legal matters, what happens is the plaintiff and the defendants are allotted a series of different motions. They're hearings where you're asking the judge the courts rather for for clarity on matters uh, it's very expensive you have to pay for court time my lawyer's fees are very generously in fact only 325 dollars an hour i think the student i think she only generously charges me maybe 150 an hour or something so you're going to tack on a series of eight hour days in preparation for and whatnot it becomes very costly and so that's Marineland's game. It's what they've done since day one. But we're in such a position now that Marineland can't get out of this lawsuit. It's unfortunate for them, but they've cornered themselves. And to be honest, I don't have an iota of empathy for them, uh, iota of sympathy for them in every which way, shape, or form. And I'm going to use sort of like hypothetics here. This isn't real. Don't send the police to my house, Marineland. But in every which way that I can use a, a baseball bat to their knees, I'm going to until they topple. Or... Until we have this amicable agreement, which I'm steadfast and not negotiable on. So if they don't want to get ruined in a lawsuit that I'm going to win, a trial that I'm going to take them to, remember, they sued me, they want out of the lawsuit, a trial that I will force upon that, I will make happen, despite them saying it's never going to happen, I will make happen, or... We make this very easy. I'm trying to make things very easy for Marineland. I can't make it easier for them at this point. So I know they see it the opposite. They think that I'm making it very difficult. I'm making this so easy for them. I'm making it so easy for them to make the, the right decision, which is to move the walrus. We have a facility in mind. They're a willing facility. They're a mere hour and a half away. I can have that walrus moved. If I got a call today from Marineland and they said, hey, listen, take this walrus and take her to, uh, to, to the place – uh, I can have her there in three hours flat. Listen, let's just make this really easy. Or we'll make it very difficult. Here's something that, that needs to be stressed. When I was negotiating for Smooshy, when I was fighting for Smooshy, not rather negotiating, when I was fighting for Smooshy in 2012 and up until really 2015, there were five walruses. Prior to that, there was even more. Today, there's only one. Four have died in the last two years. Walruses are social animals. They, she needs to be with other animals. Forget the fact that she's living in a living hell in terms of lack of the pools are hell. I mean, you can see it. It's all available online. You can see the images. All they got to do is move her. Do the right thing for the animal. 
I'm trying to get them to do the right thing. It can't be done easier. I'm willing to give everything to, that they want. I'm just willing to walk away from my campaign against them. Because, I mean, look, there's ways that people negotiate. Some people like to say, here's $100,000. Why don't you go away? And then there's other people that say, how about I cost you a lot of money if you don't blah, blah, blah. So the way I'm negotiating with Marineland is I, I can't say to them, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, just give me, just give me this much money. I, I don't care. It's not to me. It's never been about money. It's not going to be about money. They're not going to come up with a dollar figure that that makes me happy because the, whatever dollar figure they give is a fraction of what it's cost them and what it's going to cost them. So my negotiating with them is simple. If you don't want to lose everything, just move the walrus. It's so easy. How much easier can I make it? Anyways, I'm starting to sound like like an asshole. Listen, Greg. Can you uh, can you hear me? Are you still there? Have I bored, have I bored you into straight silence? <laughs> Sorry, no, no, I'm I'm in it. I'm in it. Listen, dude, I'm going to take this bong rip because I feel my head getting a little hot. Is that cool? Like, is that uh... okay, dude? Sorry about that. I'm starting to rant here. You're in a safe space, and rants are good too. But man, this is kind of a tale as old as time. I interview a lot of people who get involved in legal battles, and usually the people I interview have the moral side, and the corporations have the money side, and the System is set up for the people with the money side to typically win, but something that I find that is very kind of karmically interesting is that these companies will try to break a person, and if they have the resolve that you have, and it gets to the phase of an actual trial, now that scares the shit out of these people, because they don't want their dirty laundry aired in the courtroom. They thought they were going to get rid of you long ago. That's exactly it. There's been no other plan. There's no contingency plan. And I've got them in a place where they're very uncomfortable. Okay. It's funny because, you know, I am, I am countersuing them in defamation. You know, it's funny to think about it, but imagine a defense where I sue the shit out of you. I smear you. I create outright lies that I know are lies that I can't prove about you because you can make any claim in a lawsuit, by the way, and newspapers and, and journalists will take those claims and will will spew them word for word as long as at the end they say something to the effect of, you know, none of these allegations have been proven in court. They're able to put picture. I mean, it's it's pretty it's almost like a legal form of defamation. If you want to ruin someone, file a lawsuit, make absurd claims in it, let the media grab it, especially if you've got a friendly corporate media around here. And, you know, see where it goes. That's what, you know, Marineland tried to do to me. But imagine if that failed. So imagine if their defense to <laughs> to my defamation is, well, how could you claim defamation <laughs> if our illegal lawsuit didn't work? <laughs> like, if my reputation hasn't suffered, how is it what they've done can be deemed illegal? Kind of a weird legal question, isn't it? It's like, it's like, look, it didn't work, dude. We tried to ruin your life and it didn't work. We don't owe you nothing. <laughs> right. And man, I'm so glad we could give the listeners all this background context, but this is the big question I've been wanting to get to. It seems like obviously your biggest priority is this walrus. Obviously the whole thing probably needs to come down, the whole company or the structure of keeping animals in, in captivity, but you want this walrus freed. And this legal battle has gone on for years. You've been on Joe Rogan four times. You're very vocal on Twitter. You're here now. Why haven't they just given her up? Because there's no way the value of a single walrus that they don't even seem to use very much is worth this ongoing PR damage nightmare. Here's why. Because the former now deceased owner, John Holler, I invite you to Google his name, a very controversial, very vindictive, violent. I don't want to say too much about him because I can also say that I can also say very nice things about him too. So it's unfair sometimes that he gets painted exclusively as this evil, evil person. But, you know, we're capable of awful things. He especially. But also he was capable of generous things, I'm just saying. Marineland has a lawyer who is now operating as sole controlling mind. His job is to transition this business from what it was to what it's going to be, which is essentially chopped up and sold. He's there to protect the Holder family legacy. There's now a widow, one single remaining son. The other one, who was a friend of mine, unfortunately passed away amidst all of this. And, you know, there's a few family members, but nonetheless, there is a revenge plot from beyond. And the owner, the now dead owner, I am certain of it, made provisions that that walrus is to die at the park. Under no circumstances is she to leave. 
Now, this was this arrangement was made when there were five walruses there. I can see how her dying in the same way as the other four that just have. You know, you just make the announcement and that's it. But now that she's the last remaining walrus, it changes the landscape entirely. Now that the Toronto Zoo is building a walrus facility that will be ready in March, which is only an hour and a half away, imagine that. Now that that has happened, and that's something, that's a move that I am comfortable with, with, with making, the landscape now is such that if Marineland says no, it's because they're killing her. They have zero excuses anymore. If they have even an iota of interest in the best interests of Smooshy, they need to move her to a place where she could be with other members of her species, a place that is only an hour and a half away. Dude, that's the universe setting up the pins, my friend. That's as crazy as it gets. That is where we're at. And I understand the idea of just this really rich owner being so stubborn because he's used to getting his way. And this is kind of dark, but why not just let her die? I mean, she's been in there for seven years while you're fighting. If he's not going to give her up to you, the other walruses have died. Why even keep this one alive? You could stop feeding her for a week. And I guess he might have been able to consider his problem gone. I'm sure that would have sent you on a tear. But at the same time, like, do one or the other, either free her or let her die so the problem goes away. There was a period of time when I at least had the inclination that the owners, the owner was quite sick, that I had every reason to be concerned because he's an, a, he's an avid hunter. I mean, he was, let's just say he was very gun friendly. There's a story of him shooting two beautiful fucking Labrador dogs. You know, sometimes he was bored. But anyways, I had a lot of reason to be worried about both myself getting my head blown off. Anyone in my vicinity, truth be told, I was looking over my shoulder a lot. And the walrus. I always wondered, look, if he's got the strength to hold the gun still, why doesn't he just go in there? My hope, and it, it may sound cold, but it, you know, in every which way is also not cold at all, is I hope his decline was just so fast that he, he just couldn't have done such a thing. And I hope for his benefit that when he died, it wasn't too torturous. I hope my footsteps weren't too loud. <laughs> that's dickhead sorry i don't mean to say that that's all right man that's we're having a good time here but yeah i'm just I'm, uh, look if you got to know me i'm not that much of an asshole i do have sort of weirdo humor i did just take a rip off that bong but you know cut me some slack i'm i'm having fun hey weirdo humor is popular around here dude put yourself in my shoes like there, there comes a point where the madness just you know you just embrace it we laugh so we don't cry <laughs> dude you nailed it again Dude, I'm going to make a lot of t-shirts with all the things you're saying. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. And we're also pretty hip to conspiracies, the way things really work sometimes. And usually it's not just a legal battle on the surface, but companies or powerful people like this are no strangers to even shadier intimidation tactics. You've kind of alluded to that. But can you tell us about anything you might have experienced that maybe falls under that category? Well, I can tell you from a conspiracy perspective, what is true in my experience is when this thing started in 2012, and I thought that I would have the support of, you know, we're in Canada, so we're, we're governed by provincial laws, you know, similar to states, I suppose. I thought the province, the Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, I thought the municipality would all be in support. They'd want to know the truth of what's going on. I thought that they would, in every which way, shape or form, try to help outlaw these types of things. That was not, in fact, the case. What I did come to know over the last many years is these companies and the government work very symbiotically to make things very profitable and easy for the companies. And that can't be more than true for every which way that this was dealt with at the provincial level and definitely at the municipal level. Marineland was accommodated in every which way, shape, or form. So much of my transition to wokeness, I suppose, I think people, the kids say as today, as the kids today say, I got my head smashed into the wall of learning about what the reality was out there. So you can rest assured they're all friends. So beyond that, yeah, I've had the police sent to my house on, I can't even say, probably three times. I mean, I've been threatened to be sued, you know, multiple times. I've had a number of other things that I don't even want to necessarily get into, but I've had a lot of strange things happen. You know, I've had goons show up to my house. I've had private eyes identify themselves. have been followed all over the place. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. The, 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 the police coming to my house 
almost on repeat. You know, I think Marineland's got him on speed dial. At least they had him for a while. You know, one time, this is crazy. This is absolutely absurd. But I retweeted a Canadian, one of the most absurd Canadian comics, who had quote tweeted a PETA article about, you know, trainers revealing the atrocities at Marineland. So it would have been an article back in 2012 of myself and others speaking out. And this comedian quoted it and said, time to burn this place down. I pushed retweet and Marineland sent the cyber crimes unit division to my house. And they said that I was inciting violence. And I was, I was encouraging my followers to burn Marineland down because imagine this Kenny Hotz from Kenny versus Spenny. It's a, yeah. Yeah. It's a cucka peepee humor comedy. Kenny Hotz retweeted, or he did that tweet. I retweeted it. I had the cyber crimes. You know, not only that, here's a conspiracy for it. That tweet got deleted. And so I said to, to, I tweeted Kenny Hotz. I said, the hell you delete that for? He's like, I didn't delete it. Twitter did. Twitter doesn't delete tweets, do they? They don't until they do. But you know what? I guarantee you this. Kenny Hotz would have got a call from Marineland's lawyer. I guarantee you that. So anyways, Kenny Hotz is out there. He's got no balls. Come on, man. Keep the tweet up. And I heard something similar about Vice, right? Oh, just recently, in fact, yes, and then, you know, and I can, re- and you can rest assured that it wouldn't only be Vice, but yeah, recently Vice, I did an article, or rather, I did a rather extensive interview with them in August. You know, I was really hoping to get that out because it was, it was going to emphasize rather Smooshy's sort of perilous situation. It was going to update people on our sort of legal matters and where they are because you know people are keeping in touch. So this was going to be a great and timely article. And Marineland threatened to sue them as they do. And Vice quashed it. They're not going to publish this thing. I can't believe it. I'm half tempted to publish the article myself because I've actually got some DM exchanges with the journalist where he says, you know, they're sort of, they want to know more questions about this. And, you know, that's the last communication I really had about him uh, with him. So I almost feel like printing the DMs or rather publishing the DMs be like, hey, here's things uh, Marineland doesn't think are true that I'm, I'm going to stand by. Absolutely. And have proof for. I mean, I can't excuse why they've shelved this thing. What the hell happened to Vice, dude? Oh, my God. Well, Rupert Murdoch bought in. Oh, my God. I remember there was a time where if I would have been in Vice, I would have been the punkest. I just would have been the king around here. I mean, you're in Vice. These days, it's like Vice calls. It's like, hang up. Hang up on Vice. By the way, yes, there's not, there's another T-shirt I'd like to make. Hang up on Vice. I hear you. And, you know, the last time... I heard an interview with you. You were talking about the negotiations, as you mentioned just prior. And I guess I'm curious, what do they want from you? They want you to be quiet, I guess, but they don't want this to go to trial. You want the walrus released. What are you willing to give up or what are they asking for you to give up as much as you can say? So I'll say that as much as I can say as I can't say. I would imagine. I don't know, but I think it's too legally sensitive to disclose particulars. But I will say this. If I am to assume what they want, it's I'll assume they want the same thing they've demanded from other people that they've managed to successfully break, I suppose, or not break, just cause to stop talking, or rather they've silenced on account of the legal expenditures. What they would want is for sure they would want a no trespassing clause of any capacity at both park and former employees. They'll have a few specific names. They'll want a non-disparagement clause where I can't actually disparage the park or members of the families. You know, they would probably, I mean, in a perfect world, they would want me to take back everything and anything that I've said. They would definitely want my participation in current projects to end, current big projects to end, things that I can't legally end anyways, but they would kind of want that. You know, they really just want me to shut up. They want me to not be able to speak. And I'll tell you something. It's something I'll never sign. I'll never put ink to paper to anything that legally binds me in any way, shape, or form to not being a completely free human in any way, shape that, I, that I'm able to be in this world. But I'm a forgiving person. I'm a forgetting person. And, you know, when I got squashed beefs, you know, there's, I don't kick dead dogs. Like, if they want any sort of civility moving forward, and, and bear in mind, like, I... You know, they're trying to protect their legacy. They're voraciously trying to protect the legacy. Well, look, if I have the last word, I can assure you that that legacy is going to be worth dog shit. If they want to make things super easy, then become friends with me. Let's just do this with a smile. And maybe I won't write that book. Maybe I won't put that extra chapter. You know, maybe I won't. You know, after this legal matters, depending on how they end, 
There's a lot of neglect and there's a lot of questionable practices, legally speaking, within the practice itself that, you know, I intend to pursue after the fact. Of course, I don't intend to allow certain people, whether they be professionals or not, to get away with being in breach of their own, you know, of their own code of ethics. No, I'm not going to let anyone get away with anything. I'm going to keep pounding the pavement, keep doing this. Or it all ends. So it really becomes a question of what these people as individuals and Marineland, I suppose, who's, by the way, not a person, it's, it's, you know, it's a soulless corporation, depending on how they want to ride off into the sunset, you know, it's up to them. I know I want to do it with a smile. I'd like to hug their lawyer. I'd like to hug the widow, the now president's widow. I don't want to end all this beef, dude. I don't like living in this world of hate. You know, they've summoned this fight out of me, but, you know, much of it is fueled by anger as well. So it's a hell of a coat to wear. It's heavy. I don't like it. I used to be a funny guy and I used to be a happy dude. I don't know what that's like anymore. And I don't want to lament, but it's a different thing. It's I'm, I'm always 24-7 in a sort of like constant state of war. It weighs on you and it does things to your ego. You know, I, I have to on occasion or at least I've gone and I intend to go again. I've had to go drink some ayahuasca and break myself down so I can, you know, get some more perspective. I'm doing that this summer. Oh, yeah, you know, go, go for it, dude. It keeps coming up on the show. The very year I tend to do it, it's like every guest, even the, the obscure walrus mom is bringing up ayahuasca. Dude, I visited Smooshy in my ayahuasca trip. I don't have to tell you, but it's a very powerful experience and I wish you the best. You're going to come from it with a lot of lessons learned, but it's lessons you will forget if you don't practice. So, you know, I intend on doing the same going back. There's no how-to guide to destroying a savage corporation or surviving one. And by virtue, just destroying. There is none. I'm paving my own sort of path here. Now, and again, I stress that I'm a witness. So it's been, I guess, easy because <laughs> it's all worked out. So in retro, it's easy to say that it's been easy. But I do wonder how much of it I wear. I don't know. It's going to be interesting because what, you know, we spoke earlier about the idea of doing a podcast for has-beens and, you know, this idea. Well, you know, I'm going to be a has-been pretty quick too. You know, I, I will only have relevance for so long in social media and, and everything else. What the hell of interest will I have to talk about if either the walrus dies or the lawsuits get resolved or if, if she's moved? I mean, that's the happiest of endings. But, you know, you're only as good as what you do next. What the hell becomes of me? I don't know. I know first and foremost, I want to get back to feeling like a human being. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. One thing at a time, man. And just to maybe broaden this out and talk about things I'm sure you're knowledgeable about, but maybe aren't quite as hot as going right after marine land. Let me ask you more about dolphins and whales, just in general, because they seem like extremely intelligent animals. And I actually live only a few miles from SeaWorld, San Diego's own Orca Auschwitz. But it seems doubly cruel because of how smart they are and how big they are. And we kind of talked about that a little bit. But what can you say about the minds of marine mammals or whales and dolphins that you've discovered by being in proximity to them? I'll say this, you learn most about them, observing them when they have no idea that you're watching. And people that see them will never see that. They can't. It's not possible. But because I was able to, you know, I, there were times I was there 24-7. Because I'm able to see it then, when they're not purposely and in every which way trying to, you know, they're trying to decipher the code every day of how to A, survive, B, get out. That's it. They're trying to decipher the code. So if the code is, okay, swim up to the person that's, that shows up with the bucket, open your mouth. You get fish. Raise your pectoral flipper and touch the trainer's hand when they extend the hand, you get fish. These are codes they're breaking every single day. Trainers have the misconception that, oh, this is a power, this is a bond we're developing. Now, Smooshy and I's relationship, again, I have to stress, is an anomaly. She thinks I'm her mom. Call it one in a, I don't even know, are there seven point something billion people. I'm the only one. It doesn't exist. Those animals are always deciphering codes is what they do. Right. It's more of a prisoner and guard relationship rather than a bond of friends. Well, that is it exactly. And the trainers will never acknowledge that because they, you know, they, they are not. So when you suggested, why don't they just let Smooshy die? No trainer that works at Marineland is going to allow for that to happen. None of them. They're there because they love the animals. Make no mistake. They might be idiots on account of the fact that they don't see the writing on the wall or they refuse to or they don't actually see things for what they are. But they, it, they're idiots for their, to, to their own peril, really. that they, they would benefit them the most if they could just decide to, you know, not have this conscious bias or I don't know what you call it. But they, they wouldn't do this stuff. They, they're there because they love them. Yeah, whales and dolphins are people in every which way that you would communicate with a person that does not speak 
your language. There's just some level of universal language out there that once you find that common ground, you elevate yourself to that level of communication. Everything above is bonus. Everything at that point makes you nothing but empathetic for them because you realize that they are just people with a different meat suit. You know, they may be capable of even more elaborate communication than we are by virtue of sometimes less is more. And they have very, 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 very powerful emotional bonds, family bonds that are all broken in these environments. So these you're looking at is lost souls. You're looking at shadows wrapped in skins. I can't stress it enough. When you see them jumping in the shows and everything, you're seeing a spectacle. It's just, it's absolute nonsense. What you're seeing in it is an exhibition of cruelty. Oh, by the way, and I thought it might be worth noting, Marineland had, so you watched Blackfish? Yes. It's been a while and I didn't have the guts to watch it again, but yeah. And you know that the documentary is centered around a whale named Tilikum? Right. And you would have known the stat that SeaWorld bred Tilikum, you know, a lot. And that like some like absurd percentage of all of the captives at SeaWorld are sired from Tilikum. This whale that killed three or four trainers. They sired a son, Ikeka. Ikeka was traded from SeaWorld to Marineland. Ikeka was showing signs of aggression towards both people and trainers. He was showing psychological stress. You know, he was there for a few years and it was really bad to the point where SeaWorld, in fact, sued Marineland, citing that uh, Marineland was incapable of proper care. A court determined that SeaWorld was right. SeaWorld got Ikeka removed and he now lives at SeaWorld San Diego. Hmm. He flew the same flight path as your and I's current conversation if it was via landline. Wow. Wow. Man. And... As we are starting to wind this thing down, let's say they give you Smoochie tomorrow. I mean, what would you do with her? You mentioned you have this location that would be probably beneficial for her, but walruses, I think, need a lot, don't they? Yeah, they need a lot, but where she lives now, I have to say, almost anywhere is an improvement. So the facility that I have in mind is the Toronto Zoo. They're actually, as we speak, retrofitting one of their older exhibits. So it's going to be far more accommodating for Smooshy, even by virtue alone of being outdoors. She's currently in a warehouse. She's, she's under artificial lights with, uh, I mean, there isn't even a, a real air conditioner over there in the summer. So she's sweltering in the summer. She's uh, The winter's better for her in terms of temperature, but the air is disgusting because none of the windows are now open. There's no natural light in the place. Nonetheless, I would like to see her go to the Toronto Zoo. I would like that to be a temporary place for which, you know, she is accommodated. And then thereafter we... You know, we see what's next, but listen, it's too early to talk final destinations. Let's just get her to Toronto. Let's get her there. Once she's there, once she and I have reunited, she knows I still exist. Once she's under the sun or, you know, once she's able to breathe fresh air and see other members of her species, then we'll all just take a moment to breathe, sort of process exactly the magnitude of what the hell just happened. And then we'll reconvene. But for now, time is of the essence. I mean, four of five walruses have died in the last two years. She's the last remaining one. You know, she lives in a, in a concrete hellhole, cesspool. She needs to get taken out. Let's just get that done. Well, I mean, the odds that she's still alive, obviously, she still has a little bit of hope. And ultimately, I'd love to see you in a modest house on the beach, near her most natural habitat, and just be left alone to be the walrus mom you always knew you were they were yeah man that's the dream that's the dream so what's next for you i mean do you know what you want out of life once this marine land chapter is closed uh, that's interesting you know i have to say that i have uh, developed a level of comfort with the extreme highs I, I don't love the lows but the extreme highs such as for instance flying out to la and you know, rubbing elbows with the likes of Whitney Cummings and Joe and Steve-O and Mike Tyson. You know, I've enjoyed all of that a little bit, I have to admit. So I don't know. I do hope in some way, shape, or form that uh, my gift of gab opens up some opportunity or something. I mean, I don't know. I'm still sort of wrapping my mind around. I'm no spring chicken. I just know that nine to five, it, it's not It's not that appealing to me, just as it wasn't to you, man. So I don't know. I, I assume I'll be carving my own path. I'll continue to. I'm sure the universe has something to serve me up. Well, there's definitely no going back. It's just, it's impossible. It'd be like going back to high school. It's just tough, man. It's just tough. I don't know. We'll see. The answers, the answers are all coming in 2020, if you didn't know. Right. Clarity. Clear vision in 2020. That's it. Man, well, I got a lot of respect for you and the difficult journey that you've been on. 
Definitely tell the people where they can donate or support the work, social media links, all that good stuff. Um, Walrus Whisperer on Twitter and Instagram. You can try to add me on Facebook, but I don't really like it. Savesmooshi.com, S-A-V-E-S-M-O-O-S-H-I. You can make a small contribution. Again, every dollar is a soldier. Stay tuned. We've got a lot of good things coming in 2020, including a couple episodes for broadcast with regards to our battle. That's as much as I'll say about it. Yeah, come join the fight. It might be a little early to say some, but you're in a couple of documentaries that are maybe coming out this year too, right? Yeah, there's a couple of documentaries coming out, but you know, Marineland's going to try to make that as difficult as possible. So I don't want to say too much, but uh, all I will say is they still have a chance to help maybe with a happy ending. I mean, it's it's really up to them how they how they want to be perceived in the world. It has everything to do with their actions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it does seem like there's some hope around the negotiation because you both have what the other wants and life should really just be this simple. But I am glad we could do this. Now that you've been on the Joe Rogan experience, hot boxing with Mike Tyson in the higher side chats, I guess you got the true stoner podcast trifecta under your belt. So there's that. I'll smoke to that. Indeed. Me as well. Well, seriously, though, I do appreciate your commitment, man, and I'm happy we could highlight it. Keep up the good work and take care out there. You too, Greg. Dude, anytime. Appreciate appreciate your time and your work. And boom goes the dynamite, dear people. Good times with Walrus Phil. (laughs) And big thanks to Stephanie, who is probably the reason Phil contacted me in the first place. He hit me up on Twitter, and my first thought was... How did the walrus whisper get a blue check and I can't? But my second thought was that as much as I love animals and am fascinated by them and their ways, we don't bring them into the fold very often on this show. And marine mammals in particular, the whales, the dolphins, we know they're smarter than a lot of other things. And smarter isn't even the right word. Maybe they exude a more complex form of consciousness than say, a lot of other creatures. I did hear Phil on Joe Rogan a couple of times, and Joe did describe his own experience swimming with dolphins, being really high, as you do. And he was hit with the realization that they are pretty much people in a strange suit. It's easy to overlook because they don't manipulate their environment. We think that's the intelligence test, but dolphins and whales, they don't really need to do that. They're running that ocean. Up, down, left, right, A, B, start, you know? They are best suited for their world. They don't need bowling alleys, Escalades, and IMAX theaters to show that they have some advanced cognition. So I was happy to do this one. It's always a little challenging when I think about filling two hours with one specific story, but we could add those other threads about marine mammals to kind of flesh it out. And right now I'm all about trying to cover injustices that are outside of politics. And I think this applies. Plus, it's something nobody expected. And the funny thing about someone who might say, why don't you cover something more serious, bro, rather than this safe walrus softball show? You scared, man? Who got to you, dude? (laughs) The funny thing is about that, the irony is that when you hone in on one company or one group like Scientology, that is a lot riskier of a show than something about Sabbatean Frankist death cults. But it really is insane. Just give Smooshy to his man mom and call it a day, guys. She's not being used in the routines. She's costing you a lot in resources just to keep her. Phil's all over the goddamn internet, tarnishing the brand. And it's already been established how rare this imprinting situation is. Just take the L on this one. In fact, you could have gotten good PR if you'd done this several years ago. I see it as a strategic blunder, to say the least. And you also gotta love the elements of synchronicity in this story. Does seem like Phil's fate. And to say that all the other walruses have died but her? It's like the story is right there waiting for the last chapter, the happy ending, and I hope they get it. If Smooshy did get moved to this nicer zoo, think about the sorts of 
kids programs they could have, getting up close and personal with her if Phil was there. I know zoos and everything are problematic too, but if you want people to understand and care and respect animals, get kids up close with them. But that's what I was trying to get at in this interview, is that I'm just so frustrated with the people involved here and their unwillingness to compromise. I don't know if there's some other piece of the puzzle I'm not seeing, but it seems like the simplest of problems to solve. In fact, all this money for legal fees and lost revenue could have just bought Smooshy outright. And I think I did say Smoochy once. I can't help it. That damn Robin Williams movie keeps creeping back into my subconscious. But either way, I hope Phil finds a happy ending here, and I'm glad we could talk about his situation as well as the orcas and the dolphins. I've mentioned before that I had an interview scheduled to talk to an expert on the aquatic ape theory, that idea that dolphins really are a branch of human evolution that went into the water and never came out. The whole ape-to-human evolution theory is problematic, yes, I know, but I do think this is an interesting angle on it. But then I found out the author was a registered ex-Nazi who was removed from the Nazi party because they found him with child porn. And, of course, he reinvented himself as a Weird Stuff author while in prison. But that's the show. Big thanks to Phil. Nice to have someone to smoke with at work. <laughs> and I do understand his anxiety over what's going to come next. I mean, he's had this really great ride. He's famous for being the walrus mom. It's taken him to some pretty high heights. Clearly, he's on THC. But if Smooshy dies or he gets her back, then what? I feel that. But you got to hope that something will emerge. And I wish him well. Of course, we have a second hour of the show for Plus members, as always. I tried to give you the full story in the first hour, but there are always some other threads we can pull on. And in this one, we got into interesting insights into orca language, new laws that are on the books to help these animals, where these animals are being captured, what orcas do when members of their pods are captured, the mass animal graveyard, and what it's like to really get that Rogan bump. <laughs> so just some fun stuff to fill us out. Well, fun stuff and then the animal graveyard stuff. I wouldn't call that fun, but informative. I mean, you get it. So give Phil some love on Twitter. Let him know you're with the cause. I'm sure even a hi there and hello is helpful when you're the target of some big corporate legal battle. But I'm getting out of here. Your move, animal abusers, captivity captors, and operators of Orca Auschwitz. Your fucking move. No one knows what it's like to be the bad man. To be the sad man. Behind blue eyes. And no one knows what it's like to be hated, to be faded, to telling only lies. But my dreams aren't as empty as my conscience seems to be. Expose me on THC. No one knows what it's like to feel these feelings like I do, and I blame you. No one bites back his heart. On their anger, none of my pain and woe 
can show through But my dreams aren't as empty As my conscience seems to be I have hours always lonely Since they exposed me Behind